Hi everyone, it's Karis. Today's episode is a discussion around the Black Lives Matter movement. I want to apologise in advance. The girls and I spoke a lot beforehand about being quite nervous to record this episode just because it's an incredibly important subject, especially for me, and we really wanted to make sure that we articulated ourselves in the right way. So bear with us a little bit in this episode because we do take our time discussing some of these topics. In addition, um, this is a special kind of book club episode where we'll be discussing Queenie, Girl, Woman, Other, Homegoing, Such a Fun Age and Americana. Whilst we do our absolute best not to give away any big spoilers, we are discussing some topics in the book, so just be aware. Um, I hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. Welcome to The Uncertainties, the podcast for 20-somethings who don't quite have their shit together. I'm your host, Karis, and um, I've decided this week that I'm going to do a slightly special episode. Um, obviously, it goes without saying that there's been some really devastating things happening in the news over the last, well, especially over the last couple of weeks, but obviously this has been an ongoing issue. And it's been something that's really deeply affected me, as I'm sure it has to a lot of other people. And I really, really felt as though I would be doing myself and a lot of other people a massive um, disservice if I didn't try and use whatever very small platform that I have <laughs> to um, just try and promote some really diverse culture and art and just talk about these issues a little bit more really. Um, we're all quite avid readers in this <laughs> in this um, house. So I got my house girls with me and we're basically just gonna have a discussion about some really fun books, um, TV shows, podcasts, basically just a bunch of things that um, we've consumed over the last year, basically, since we've been here. I just wanted to start off by asking you guys how you found the last couple of weeks. Um, how have you found it? Obviously, it's interesting to hear it from your perspective. Yeah. Very intense, I must say. Because even though what you said that it's not enough anything new, it's just being filmed basically. And it's been happening all the time, but I think it's completely um drawn my attention to it a lot more and from my own dismay and shame that I don't know enough about it. And this I think is something that's been flagged up a lot by people and um something that I think a lot of people still need to get their heads around is the idea that it's always been a problem that yeah. seems really far away. Yeah. So even with this right now, we're talking about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Armored Arbery and there are still a lot of people in this country that are like oh well, that's happening in America and we know yeah. that there's really bad police brutality in America and they're not actually looking to themselves and their own actions and being like no yeah. there is a really really big issue with the police here as well but not just that just general systemic racism um, and microaggressions that are happening a lot and I think that's probably um, how we're going to bring it also into the books that we discuss because mm -hmm. we're not just going to talk about kind of overt police brutality racism in the books that we're discussing but also just the more nuanced racism that I think people have kind of been quite almost ignorant to mm -hmm. until now and they're really kind of realizing that the microaggressions um, are just as damaging yeah. as you know shouting the n-word at a person yeah. so because it, it's a it's a much more kind of internalized thing that happens over a long period of time um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I second what Annie says, because I mean, all of the books that we're going to discuss today, I've 
I like read them ages ago. So I, 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 I feel like this is something I read about and I'm interested in, but I have learned like in the last few weeks that actually like my education has so, has so far to go. Mm-hmm. And you see this stuff on social media all the time, which is just like, yes, it might seem exhausting and like you feel like there's so much information, but just don't just push through it and like make sure that you're still retaining information and learning. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like definitely the biggest thing that I've learned through this week is like to just read everything that you see and you can never learn especially as a as as like a white person you can never you can never learn it all you can never learn too much Mm -hmm. um you can always be sort of like bettering yourself and learning how to adjust your behavior i work in the film industry and i think um i mean in terms of it being kind of publicized how not diverse the industry is it's really really out there obviously there's the hashtag oscars so white we've had people boycotting the oscars Um, there's a constant conversation going on about how they can diversify the film industry um, better and they're just obviously not doing enough um, but yeah it's been a really interesting time for me as you guys know um, I found it quite frustrating and um, I wonder this has probably happened to a lot of people and I would love to hear if it has but I uh, kind of spoke to you guys because I remember over the weekend not the weekend that's just been the weekend before kind of saying how disappointed I was that you know I'm having constant conversations with my work we, we have a group whatsapp and we're always chatting about things that are going on in you know current affairs and then suddenly on this issue they just went completely radio silent and I did find it really really strange um and it took me having to be the one in our we have like a, a meeting we have got weekly meetings and it took me having to be the one to really actively say are we going to address what's going on in America we're going to address the you know the horrible events that have happened with George Floyd and it was only then that they kind of were like oh yeah 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 of course and blah 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 and that in itself is very very frustrating and I'm sure a lot of people will really um will really feel the same on this is that it's you know as as and I'm also only um I'm mixed race I'm half black half white which means that I'm also throughout my life benefited a lot from white privilege as well so um but for black people you know you're constantly expending a lot of your energy trying to make sure that everyone else feels comfortable so like if someone says something that's a bit like oh and uncomfortable for you you're like am I gonna pick it up with them or am I gonna let it go today because I can't be bothered for the argument or am I gonna do this and constantly having uncomfortable conversations and it can be really really exhausting and I think now is the first time that people have said um, and this uh, this has been like an ongoing thing that I've read a lot but about deprioritizing white comfort and being like yes. it's not you know you might feel really uncomfortable raising it but think about how uncomfortable and bad it is for the person living it yeah. so for me, I was like, it's really frustrating that even within this, you guys, I'm still the one that has to raise the issue and the topic. Um, yeah. And it, and it was really exhausting. I felt really exhausted at like by it at the time. And they also were like, yeah, this is a really, really great idea. Um, and I had to kind of really say, look, I think that there are lots of things that we can do, not only short-term solutions, but long-term solutions in the company to really think about you know systemic racism and how we can be more diverse and inclusive without it being just like 
a throwaway clause or you know things like oh yeah we're doing this for diversity inclusion like actually making some serious serious change um and they're like yeah we're really on board with that why don't you go away and come up with a document and i'm like okay so yeah and that's the thing and i think that that people still aren't realizing is that it's always been seen and i was like re-watching rihanna's iconic speech um where she talks about this and she's like you know everyone says like it's a black people's problem it's a poor Mm -hmm. people's problem no it's everyone's problem and i think that um as much as part of me is really happy that i am a part of this process because i obviously do want to oversee it and make sure that things are actually going to happen it i think that there needed to be a bit more um just like uh care given to the fact that this has obviously been a really overwhelming time for me as i'm sure it has been for basically every black person who yeah every black person um and just to know that oh this this might actually be quite a lot to put on you to be like oh can you put a whole document together to show us how our company can be less racist it's just it's a lot um so it's definitely been a bit of a learning curve for me um and even in terms of um i found like friends reaching out to me i think it's once again that thing of oh i'm too scared to broach the subject and i'm too scared to have that conversation which i think is the first hurdle that a lot of people need to get over but speaking from my personal experience i know that um and i've said this to you guys as well but because i have had a really really privileged upbringing i most of my friends just because I went to a private school and things and um of the upbringing that I had most of my my circle are white um and in a situation like this it can feel particularly isolating because you're like Mm. of course I've got incredible people around me who are very very supportive but there's you know you do want to speak out to those people who truly truly understand and are going through what what you're going through Mm. and it can feel really isolating so I think um if you're if you are one of those people who is struggling to reach out just you have to just get over it and do it because as soon as my friends started reaching out I literally it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders it was so so nice because there was just a week where there was like just again radio silence and it was such an isolating feeling um so yeah that would be the one thing that I I would say in this time is um yeah, deprioritize that white comfort, peeps. So, I think the first one that we're going to discuss is such a fun age, is it? Yeah. 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 Um, so, I actually was just looking this up on my phone before we started recording this, and very excited to see that the book has been optioned for the film and TV rights by Lena Waite, guys, which is super exciting. So hopefully that means it will be coming to our screens quite soon. And we've also been, we'll obviously talk about this later, but we've made a lot of parallels between that and yeah. um, Little Fighters Everywhere. If anyone's watching, we finished it a couple of days ago and are obsessed. But... Such a fun age. Such a fun age. Such a fun age. So I thought that it was going to be something and then it turned into something completely different. Wait, I kind of want to just like, if I read, wait, I just want to read the thing of it. I think it's one of those books where you read the um, synopsis Synopsis, and it basically 
It sets it up. Yeah, it sets it up. So you think it's going to be one thing, and actually what happens is the thing that has taken up the entire synopsis happens in, like, three in, pages. If, and it's just, like, all that, about the aftermath of that. It's yeah. Not, so, so, like, okay, imagine. This is this is the, the blurb. It says, When Amira is apprehended at a supermarket for kidnapping a white child that she's actually babysitting, it sets off an explosive chain of events. Her employer, Alex, a feminist blogger with the best of intentions, resolves to make things right. Um, you do feel like that one big event is going to take up a lot more time. Yeah, than I was like, oh, okay, I can see. I, I had, I had it all in my mind's eye. I was like, I think I know exactly where this is going. It's going to be like a whole, um, a whole, yeah, court, not even court case. I don't know. I just felt like I knew. I felt like this was going to be. Yeah, such a and it wasn't. Thing. This is a classic thing where you are led to believe it's like going to be explicit. <laughs> And it's, and it's actually very like very very nuanced, subtle, very subtle. Yeah, which definitely. So no, this, I felt like this is really really interesting. But I would say fundamentally, yeah, as you said, this is definitely like much more um, subtle, kind of the microaggressions of yeah. um, racism and race. So like obviously the main character, and also I think I feel like I we feel really like... enjoyed this book because um, Amira, the main girl in it, is our age. Yeah. So she's she literally is twenty five, right? And then has her twenty sixth birthday. She'd be a great guest on Answer Twenty. She's so really know what she wants to do. She just can't really have a too many other shit together. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> but it's basically about um, a sort of twenty five year old black girl. She's a babysitter of a rich white, like perfect in the same way that Little Fire is everywhere it's like a seemingly perfect, your sort of perfect white yeah. family the the biggest kind of theme is it a theme in it is how um you if you want to kind of like surround yourself by with black people and hire like um because she, she wants to become like best friend with her babysitter doesn't yeah. she and she's like there's con it's very um introspective about her like oh i have all these black friends and my black friends gonna mm. get with my black babysitter and it's like this constant obsession with needing to have black friends and convincing yourself that because of that you're not racist but actually that is the ultimate microaggression yeah. it's when people are like oh i'm not racist because i've got i've got three black friends who are my best friends is like the ultimate um ultimate no-no really <laughs> things you should be saying but um yeah it's it's definitely um a very to it's, it's basically like tokenism really yeah. and it's really interesting because uh the book is split i think isn't it one one um chapter is alex's perspective and then yeah. the next chapter is amira and then the next chapter is alex and they flick it between the two perspectives and yeah you you basically just explore the mind set of both of them and how how the relationship ensues basically after this but obviously because such a big event happens which is um the police uh pulling up amira for stealing this white child which is alex's young baby a lot of it i think is her trying to like make up for the the policeman's actions like she's so horrified that this is happening she's like oh god i can't lose her what am i gonna do and she becomes really like consumed by this almost friendship which is a, just not I don't know I, I don't know what you think if, yeah she obviously thinks that it's a friendship but there's you know there's clearly a power play there yeah, and she also thinks like I can do so much like she's like I can help her I can do all this stuff I can use my connections to like give her a yeah. and do this and mm. why doesn't she like this because I'm being so nice and I'm trying to help her and this kind of stuff um and obviously Amira is just like what the hell are you doing? Like, just yeah. really not, they're not enjoying it at all. And um, just something that I, because I, I said this to you the other day, it's just like one line that I always remember, which I think is such 
a good example of um, this kind of like tokenism is there's like a bit where it's um, Alex's perspective and it's basically like I counted um, and I'm gonna ha- it's like about to be Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving like, yeah. I counted and I'm gonna have six black people around my table it's like most I've ever had or something and she's like so she's like I can't, so I can't wait for a mirror to come and see that I've got at least six black people at my yeah and they're gonna table. get on so well and they're gonna speak to each other and they're gonna have so much to she's talk gonna about she's gonna be so happy to see oh that I like, but for her she's like really proud of herself yeah and it's completely performative and the other the other really interesting relationship is Amira and her wife uh, boyfriend um, because yeah I don't want to give too much away but he's he obviously because he is also white and Amira explicitly says that she's only ever before him uh, been with black guys so there's definitely a kind of like there's an uncovering of kind of how that relationship works and whether it works basically and didn't he also say he's only been with black girls before yeah and there's definitely a lot of themes about fetishization and um yeah it's it's really really interesting actually because it again these are just such kind of nuances where someone might just be like uh oh i'm just like i'm just into black girls and then it's kind of like oh but are you actually just fetishizing a culture and a skin type and things like that so it's it on the surface and like even reading it it felt quite we both said it, it felt quite chiplety didn't it, yeah. it was, like it's such an easy read it's a um, space turner for sure yeah it is it is for anyone again as i said anyone watching little fires everywhere there are so many parallels to it yeah for sure and i also think something i'd say about both of them is how like race and class really play into each other yeah definitely because in both of in both in little fires and this there's like obviously um, a class divide between mm. the sort of two perspectives, but that's also like it a bit like lends itself to the to a race divide as well. Yeah, definitely. So that's that's a really really interesting one that we thought that we would touch on because it's not very um, overt in terms of the way that it has conversations about race, but it's still just as important, if not more important, because I think it will really make you re-examine. Yeah, just comments in your everyday life that you might have thought nothing of before that you might kind of rethink now. Yeah. So highly recommend. It's it's how many stars would you give this? I think I get I think I have I good reads. So I yeah, Ollie's literally rate, forced me to I'm get a good read to count. I don't know if anyone else has it. <laughs> but you can basically rate stars out of five. I think I gave it a four. Did you? Yeah. I feel like that's the one Thing that uh, annoys me about Goodreads, you can't do like a 0.5. I think I would have given this maybe a 3.5, 3.7. Yeah, I wish it was a broader scale. So I think I probably just rounded it up to a four, but I probably would have given it like, a, yeah, a 3.5 or a 3.7. Yeah. Five so. stars, it has to have tick those both of those boxes of like, that was amazing, changed my life, and it was incredibly profound and well-written. And also like, it consumed me and I didn't want to put it down the whole yeah. time I was reading yeah. it. That's good. This is Queenie. I feel like a lot of people have read this book, to be fair. I feel like when I look, I'm, yeah, when I look on my Instagram, I see a lot of people reading this. Yeah, as I said, I don't, I mean, we talk about this quite a lot about um, reading books and like basically making our, like consuming ourselves and like making ourselves the main character. But I truly thought I was Queenie while I was reading this. I was like, oh my God. I think it's because she, she's quite similar in her workplace as well like she has quite a difficult workplace yeah. and um and she's in like journalism isn't she she's a writer right yeah 
So it's kind of a, she, yeah, she has kind of a, a tricky work-life balance. And then she's also the same age as us. And she lives in Brixton. Yeah. And we yeah, live in Stockwell. So, she <laughs> so, felt like there was a lot to it. Oh, yeah, Dolly Alderton. Yeah, there's there's a lot to it. Where I should be, like, talking about walking around Brixton. I'm like, oh. She is, just to hear a little bit about her. She was born in 1989. So, she's super young. That's oh. a year older than my sister. That's 30, 31. Um... The result of an affair between a Jamaican cab driver and a dyslexic oh. Jamaican Indian receptionist. She's a journalist, screenwriter, and the author of the Sunday Times best-selling Queenie, a book described as vital and disarmingly honest and boldly political. She's um, a Guardian Review columnist, and she has written for the Guardian, ID, Vogue International, wow. and every iteration of the Sunday Times, Beat Magazine, Black Ballad, and more. And she's probably will always live in South London. Uh-huh. So I do I do feel like she's definitely drawn from probably quite a lot of her own experiences when writing about this as she is a journalist yeah. and Queen is a journalist. And if you are if you do live in London you definitely will like recognise a lot of the yeah. settings in this book. This is really crazy to say and I've literally just had this thought right now. But do you think that Queenie is a little bit of like um um the a black girl version of Fleabag? I don't know why I've just had that thought, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of like, because Fleabag is like this kind of over-sexualized. So, so, yeah. Like she struggles. Stands in distress. Is that what stands in distress? Stands in distress is like. Not that. Or oh, stands in distress like needs saving. Yeah. I yeah, no, it. sorry. Not but that. I just mean, because you know, with. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and also someone has like a, a, a complicated relationship with yeah. sex. It's set in London. She doesn't really know what she's doing with her life. Yeah. And also it's just the way it's like. It is quite, like a lot of it is dark humor, but it is quite, and, and that's the same way Fleabag is. Someone yeah. described this to me as like if Americana and Bridget Jones had a baby, yeah, Bridget Jones Diary had a, a baby, idea. this book yeah. would be their love child. That is that is actually so true. I yeah. love that. Yeah, and I feel like once again, exactly the same with such a fun age because um, Queenie is our age. It just makes it all that more relatable, like mm. what she's going through. This definitely taught me a lot as a white person because it's like what you said they are very like very subtle microaggressions that I wouldn't as a as a privileged white person we would never experience a lot of these things and wouldn't even notice them like as like wouldn't notice that you were going through them or any of our black friends Mm. sort of dealt with these kind of issues day to day so I definitely think it was a very informative for me oh really in what in what terms in what um, I guess like the fetishization of black people, yeah, yeah, just like everything that she has and like all the kind of stuff that she discusses with her friends, um, just the kind of like issues of like having a white boyfriend and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and just like actually, I think a lot of the stuff was you know what his family was yeah. saying, and I think quite difficult, yeah, really difficult because I'm sure we all kind of like sometimes have th- these jokes. I know a lot of my friends do. It's like, oh, my grandparents like just from a different time and all this kind of stuff and we put this thing down to older generations just yeah. being like and like they're unfixable yeah. as well like, oh, yeah. kind of like doesn't really like Asian people yeah. I also really like black people exactly. yeah, they're just like a little bit yeah. racist it's like that's, that's, that's grandma obviously her white boyfriend has a racist dad and he just keeps being like oh he's just like that he's just like that and actually that's like what he's saying is incredibly Offensive and aggressive to her. And yeah. And also, another thing is that she, and I I actually find this quite a lot personally, is um, 
Like when she does get angry and justifiably angry about it, it's like, oh, you're overreacting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's always like kind of minimizing it, being like, oh, there was no need for you to storm off. Like that's you've you've made such a big um, deal out of the situation and making it seem as though the problem is with her. Yeah, and her of- not feeling comfortable enough to bring it up and not feeling like she can, and knowing that if she does bring it up, that. It, she's going to cause an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's going to be seen as very, very difficult. Yeah. I think um, that was really interesting, actually. Yeah. yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. It's uh, yeah, she she definitely has quite like a complicated relationship with herself and um, her like sexual relationships as well, doesn't yeah. she? The book starts with is this going to be a spoiler alert? This might be a moment, <laughs> but the book starts with like her and her boyfriend breaking up. No, they've broken they up at the beginning, so that's not a spoiler. That's not a spo- like that literally happens. All yeah, the no, that happens. At the... Actually, this might be a spoiler. I'm just gonna say it. We can put a spoiler on it, but if you have read it, this might. I just want to say it anyway because I think this is relatable to what we were saying about Love Island the other day. Do you know in the book where he gets a new girlfriend? Oh yeah. And she goes around his house, and it's like just this like blonde girl mm. and she's just like she's like I'm just so disappointed that you literally just and I think that's what we were saying Love Island the other day this is something um it was a very, a very specific time when it was the one day last year <laughs> and Danny day. and that blonde girl just came in and he just dropped her oh, and, mm. and it's just like that narrative of um society thinking that like blonde white is like beauty it's, that's yeah. what we've been taught to think is beautiful and in Love Island, they only obviously put people in that are so ignorant and find that like only blonde people or whatever attractive. Yeah. And I just thought that was quite interesting because she obviously, I got the sense that she went around and she was really disappointed and was just like, wow, you've got another girlfriend, but you've got something like that's so different from me. Yeah, so yeah. all along, you just, you didn't want to be with a black girl, basically. Mm. It ends up having a really astute conversation about mental health and how that is viewed in a black community. Because again, I don't know if this is something that a lot of people know, and I think it's like definitely a running joke. Like I definitely, um, you actually probably hear this on the receipts all the time because I talk about it quite a lot. But like mental health in black communities is like not really acknowledged at all. Mm -hmm. And like, um, you'll be like, oh, I'm depressed, and I'm like, you are not depressed. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like they they'll just kind of like completely dismiss it. So like, it's not really a thing, um, because they're like, I think because because in a way because there are so many generations that have suffered such painful painful lives, like literally gone through slavery and all of, um, and colonialism and all of this stuff. That they're like, if we talk about anxiety, they're like, child, you are not depressed, you are not anxious, and all of this stuff. It's really it's a very very difficult thing to like have that conversation with with a black family. Um, and I think that is maybe something that a lot of people haven't realized, and it's something that the they touch on so nicely in this book, in such a yeah just such a um like astute way that um that i just really enjoyed it's really it's it's such a good book and it's like it has all of the laughs in it but then it it has a really like hard-hitting ending you really like you go through the journey with her of kind of like self-realization next on our list is one that i think i mean Again, it's another one that I've seen on a lot of people's like Instagrams and things. It's um, Girl, Woman, Margaret. Other. Margaret. 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 Um, <laughs> Girl, Woman, Other. We all read this book. Annie's just finished. When did he finish it? A couple of days ago. A couple of days ago. A couple yeah. of days ago. 
Um, Still flying. <laughs> I loved it so much. We've recommended this between us probably to so many people and yeah. everyone has absolutely loved it. Yeah, I've given my I've had no bad someone. comments. Not a single no, one. Yeah. It's so good. I was actually just, I. this is the first time that I'm reading the blurb in a really long time. This is the Britain as you've never read it. This is the Britain yes. as it has never been told. That's very and true. It is future, it is past, it it's is fiction, fiction it, it is, is history. history. It is a novel about who we are now. I mean, even just that, I'm like, damn, better deed. It's, it's the story of, I want to say, 12 separate women. Um, and it's and just binary. in one way or another. Yeah, and like in very non-conventional ways as well. Mm. It's, um, it's just done in such a fantastic way. I feel like for me, the thing that like um, really blew me away is how... Just how amazing she is at creating such distinct voices for each character that like literally jump off the page. Yes. It's like you were reading Amma and you were like, oh my God, like I can just, I, I feel like I know Amma. And then you would read, um, is it Yaz, who's her daughter? Yes, yeah. And like, just so, I mean, I, there's no way other to, like, to describe it other than it just being so distinct yeah. voices. And also that... This, they, it kind of reads a bit like short stories, I, yeah, I definitely. But also it's not just like, um, they don't just read like this one and this one and this one and this one. It's like they all link in a very yeah. subtle way and you don't like clock it straight away, but yeah. you kind of, as you get through the stories, you're just like, that's so clever. That, mm. Oh wow, that's, I think is incredible and so important about it is that it covers, how, like how many years? Because it covers from it's like, before the nine, uh, I think it's 1900. Yeah. Very early like, 1900s, yeah, yeah, all the way to modern day. So you are kind of like seeing all these different, and the stories are very different. They all very different explore race, but in a very like that's different way. That's yeah, in the context of mm. when the story is. Yeah, talking about the ways in which um, how people view race and racism, how that has evolved as well throughout yeah. those years. So. Yeah. You really get, I mean, with Yaz, she's just like so sick and they're just like this kind of like, because um, I, I feel like Am is so great because she, for her time, was this like massive radical feminist. Mm -hmm. And then, and it's so funny to then see her her own child like challenging her views. That's what I thought. I thought and her being like the new woke one and being yeah. like, mom, like yeah, you need to- check yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just, I loved that. Mm. And um read something which I found very interesting. Um, which was that it was very clever how she she wrote all of these stories, but she didn't write them in first person. She wrote them in, yeah, they're in th they're all in third person mm. because each of the characters is quite flawed. They're not none of them are perfect no, people. Yeah. They all have like you go through periods of like, oh, are you really gonna do that? Like that's not like the right thing to do. And mm. they do also make some quite questionable decisions. So the fact that she's not put them in first person allows you to kind of like take a step back and like almost like judge the characters a little bit and yeah, just like definitely. Put, pit them not like pit them against each other but just kind of like they're all on a bit of that's yeah oh. I hadn't really thought about that that's really interesting yeah because I suppose if it's a first person you will always feel too connected oh. to a character that sometimes you yeah. you ignore a lot of their flaws I yeah. feel like yeah. I was with Queenie yes, I was definitely like that I was like yeah she's got some flaws but whatever yeah. she's a great person <laughs> um yeah I just spoke about the black British experience throughout yeah throughout that that whole time span is such a testament to how good she is as a writer because mm. it's so, I, I feel like I wouldn't even know where to begin something um, that I found quite interesting when she said in the virtual chat she was like 
black female history is basically completely, erased. completely not there. There's no yeah. representation at all. So I thought it was quite a good thing to read to just kind of, even though it's fiction, it's just yeah learn about yeah. black experience, basically. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Also, how she um, compared it to, like, the royal family and how much we consume, yes. how much stories and TV shows and, like... And all we consume about the royal family compared mm. to like these kind of stories. Yeah, yeah, which are far more interesting. They're so like, interesting. I uh, what who is your favourite character? Oh, I had a few, but Hattie was my favourite. Who was the great grandma of Morgan? So cute. She was just amazing. Yeah, I like Hattie. I mean no spoiler alert, but yeah, at the end there was a really lovely um Yeah. Link. Yeah, the ending delivers. <laughs> the ending, the really ending delivers. delivers. I don't. I was grinning as I was reading it. I yeah, like, you so were loving. <laughs> I feel like we were down here and I could like literally hear you upstairs, just like upstairs. enjoying it so much. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> the next book that we want to discuss is Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who is a Nigerian writer. Um, it's pretty exciting to note that HBO Max are going to be adapting Americana into an upcoming drama miniseries, which will be based on the novel of the same name and will be starring Denai Guerrero, I hope I'm saying that right, and Lupita Nyong'o. So um, if you don't know who they are, they both starred in Black Panther and you'll probably recognise Lupita because she won an Oscar for her incredible performance in um, 12 Years a Slave. And she also did a really great performance in Jordan Peele's Us, which I think was last year. Um, many of you guys will probably know Chimamanda from her famous canon of books, which include Half of the Yellow Sun and Purple Hibiscus. I previously read The Thing Around Your Neck, um, which is actually a series of short stories that explores themes of cultural identity, as many of her characters come from Nigeria to live in the Western world. Uh, most of the time this is the US and they're basically in search of a better life and education and really kind of um, seeking out the American dream um, and Chimamanda writes about this experience of kind of belonging or rather the feeling of not belonging to either culture very very adequately uh, and that's something that's very prevalent in um, Americana as well. For me, something that I absolutely loved about Americana is that it's set in the backdrop of the Obama election um, and that event really becomes prevalent in many of the characters' conversations once Ephemelu, who is the main character, moves to America and it's actually being in America that for the first time she's confronted with her race and what that means in the US um, and there's a real feeling that um, once Obama was elected that it was going to fling the world into a kind of post-racial society which of course we can now see many years on that that was definitely just completely false um, but yeah so the main character of Femalu she actually starts a blog about race and her posts are included in the book and they are so 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 thought-provoking um, something that I thought was quite interesting was just personal experiences mm. um, and something that I just never really thought about was when she went to get her hair relaxed at the um, Ephemalu and mm. I've always talked, at uni you'd always say, oh my hair has, I had my hair relaxed when I was younger Yeah. and I'd always, I'd never really think much of it, I'd just say, oh that's something that you had done. Yeah. Whereas in this book it made me realise that that is a complete pressure of someone who wants to 
kind of pressuring this white idea along someone and for example she has to do it before or she thinks she has to do it before she goes to a job interview interview, because she says if she has her hair natural that she won't get the job and I think that's the same in girl woman other as well I think it comes up yeah and it's just such an interesting thing because I wouldn't when I would talk to you about that I would never actually realize think that about that something it. that's systemic and ingrained and something I think I was aware of it again because I grew up around such predominantly white communities and like you know my school was so all of my schools have been really really white I just really yeah it is that feeling of like I I already feel like I stand out because of my skin color I don't want to stand out as well because of my hair there was definitely that stage as well of like um blonde straight hair like basically like cocaine chic like yeah. that whole look which is just the so complete so opposite of like of yeah just the way that my body and the way that I look should be and I think I was trying so hard to assimilate to a culture um and I I remember like my poor mum I would like literally beg her I was like please let me relax my hair please 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 and I had like the nicest curly hair I look back at uh, back at it and it was so nice and I literally fucked yeah. <laughs> like and for such a long time as well like I literally I relaxed my hair for the first time when I was like 10 years old yeah. obsessively straightened my hair I just like wanted it to be straight so much so that I could like kind of in a way look a little bit like other people and it's such a weird thing now because like and I spoke about this on my the episode with Tanya being like I finally embracing the curl but also it's because there's not that many products available yes yeah. So it was like I have to have straight hair because like I can't I can't just walk to Boots and find stuff for curly hair like there's nothing to maintain having nice curly hair. Was it in it was I feel like it was in like JD Sports or something and someone do you remember um there was a an official complaint by a customer because some a girl's hair was seen as like um like too messy and 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 then they'd the company had been like you should probably take your braids out and the, <gasps> and the company. The company like forced her to and then she brought it to light and she like basically filed a complaint against them and then it um i think she i'm hoping she got a bit of compensation but like the amount of conversations that you have to have and i know it's a conversation that my sister i have with my sister all the time because she's in a much more corporate job than me and i'm always like oh yeah. just put your hair in braids and she's like you don't understand like i can't because they it's don't look at it as being yeah. as neat or as tidy as all corporate as like because I'm in a creative industry, it's almost like I can kind of get away with it. But if I was in, yeah, like my sister has always been like, oh, I can't, I can't. She always takes her braids out if she ever has them before she goes back to work. She's like, oh, I can't, I can't say anything. Very interestingly, I feel like a very extreme example of that, which I don't know if I read this in Becoming. I'm not very good at remember. I can't, I'm not very good at remembering where I read things. But it was in like an interview with Michelle Obama or it was in Becoming. I don't know if you'll remember reading this at all. But um, there's a whole bit about her relaxing her hair and basically being like, obviously, the fact that there was, um, we had the first black president and his, a black white, like a black first lady was amazing. But she definitely reflects on the fact that if she hadn't had her hair relaxed, and she'd had her natural hair, she probably like, they would have been so unrelatable to most of they just wouldn't have got the American vote, basically. Mm. And it's just the whole thing that like, yes, she's black, and that's great. But she had to have her hair relaxed so that she looks like a little bit white and a little bit to cold and a little bit like more relatable. Yeah, it's it's all of the it's once again all of those kind of like racist tropes mm. of like, oh, yeah. it's it's not the norm, it's this and it's that. And I think yeah. the 
um you you grow up on that and so you're so aware of it um that you're just like oh I, yeah. have, I, I can't have my and normal it, hair yeah it's just so I remember reading that and just being so shocked because she was basically told like if you don't relax your hair you will um you'll basically lose the campaign for your husband because yeah. you'll be seen as shocking as it is like too yourself and not like American <laughs> enough it's just ridiculous <laughs> Um, okay, so I think we've come kind of to a natural end in terms of um, the books that we've discussed. Um, and we hope that they will be of some use and value to you guys. And I hope we haven't given you too many spoilers there. Um, the second part that we wanted to discuss are just a, a couple of um, things that we've been watching and TV shows that are, again, in the same vein, things that we think are not only really entertaining but that are you know gonna give you a bit of a, a schooling on um <laughs> these types of issues basically so obviously um we've kind of already touched on it but little fires everywhere which i actually from posting it on my instagram story i've got loads of really positive responses mm. about it like loads of people are really really into this oh. so i don't even feel i feel like i we're probably too late on the trend like everyone's already on it but um obviously we finished it when was that? Two, three yes. days ago? Oh, yeah. Was it that long ago? Yeah, no, did, two yeah, days ago. Two days ago. Very recently. And, yeah, not to to um, repeat too much of what we've already said, but um, it's just, it's such um, a really interesting conversation, not only about mother, it's about motherhood, um, race and, and white privilege, really. And class. And, class. Um, and it really handles all of those issues in a actually a really really um complicated but subtle but delicate way it's not yeah it's the conversations that i had are really thought-provoking and like again i've had a lot of conversations with with my white friends who have watched it and been like oh it's really interesting to to watch it and for you to kind of observe the way that reese acts and behaves and for you to feel uncomfortable with it and then for you to understand and for you to kind of go through the motions of realizing why is that uncomfortable and why do I feel uncomfortable with that and um I think it's it's having those internal discussions with yourself constantly whilst you're watching it I think that's really really important Mm -hmm. but like the acting is so good and um Obviously, it's like it's set in the nineties and Shaker Heights, which is a real place. Did really? you know that? I yeah, it's a real place. place. I thought it might be, but I didn't know. If it was I wonder whether or not they actually filmed it in Shaker Heights, but it's definitely a real place. Um, and yeah, so a lot of different characters. That's what I was. I found that very. It explores a lot of different stories, and I also think something that I found interesting was race. Obviously, plays like such a big part in it, but also each of the characters whatever race they are have their own struggles and I feel like it doesn't sort of like discredit or minimize patronize or minimize those struggles so yeah. there's yeah like the white family in, in it are incredibly privileged and they have a lot of money and they live in an amazing house and have like a really good education um but also like a few without giving away any spoilers there's like a specific member of that family who is struggling in a really big way with identity and like mm. not feeling like feeling trapped and not really feeling belonging and feeling all these expectations and they don't they don't minimize those do they i think and actually that is that is another um theme of white privilege that i think a lot of people don't understand is when you talk about 
racism, I think in conversations previously, what happens often is that you speak about difficult situations that you've been in and some white people might jump on it and be like, oh, well, um, you know, I grew up in a working class family. Like I've had a difficult life. I've had this, I've had that. And I think the thing about white privilege that um, people don't necessarily realise and I think is something that uh, um, has been a big discussion now is that is that it's, it's acknowledging the fact that your life, you know, everyone's life has, has had its hardship mm. and it's not minimising the hardship. It just is acknowledging that the colour of your skin is not something that has made your life even harder to live. Yes. Yeah. And something that I've been thinking about a lot, actually, because I feel like... Um, even like the way that I speak, I feel like I've grown up my whole life with people, if I ever talk about my blackness, people yeah. negating it, being like, oh, but like, you're you're so white, or like, you're so this, or oh, you're such an Oreo, or yeah. you're so, you know, and saying all of that kind of stuff, and just like minimising my own black experience, yeah. and I think that's literally what she's doing. Yeah. And it's it- being like, oh, well, you've got your own privileges, so like, you can't identify with that, and it's like, and I think he, yeah, there's there's a big kind of realisation of, you know, people just, like, people will just discriminate me on the colour of my skin, regardless of, like, any merits that I have, like, without me even having to open my mouth, kind of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't realise that. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's one of the most common, like, microaggressions, isn't it? Of just, like, oh, you don't sound black. Yeah. I've seen that a lot recently, Yeah, or like, oh, you sound really... Um, You've got you're like really well spoken for a, like yeah. a black person. Oh, so it's something like that, and it's like, it. What, what does that mean? What does that even yeah. Mean? Um. Or like yeah. Or like, where, where are you from? Like um, the UK, yeah. England. Reading. But where are you really from? Yeah. Oh. From. Oh. Where are your parents from? Okay. 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 That's always the, yeah. the questions. Um. But no, I feel like it's really, especially during this time it's such an important thing to watch because it's also just a like, really entertaining and really good um great soundtrack soundtrack amazing as we've maybe mentioned <laughs> a few too many times and great yes, like, great, great acting great as well the oh, kids and, and also the something so weird yeah so like each we, other we were just saying this, the casting was extraordinary because there was like I Reese Witherspoon her husband and like their four kids and their four kids Looked. looked exactly like both Reese Witherspoon and Joshua Jackson. <laughs> it was like I just don't understand. It was, it's so well cast. It's so well cast. Um, a couple of other things. I don't know if you have you guys watched When They See Us. I haven't known. Ah, okay. So I, I know what it's. I know what it's about, and I know, I, the, I know the premise stuff. But I haven't yeah, I put this on the list. I actually saw my my. Instagram earlier that the Netflix have done a whole Black Lives Matter section now, which I hadn't seen before. Yeah, and also if you go on podcasts as well, on the podcast yeah, on iTunes, podcast. Yeah. and Spotify, yeah. they've done like a whole Black Lives Matter kind mm. of playlist as well, which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, when they so Ava DuVernay is an incredible um, filmmaker. She did the Thirteenth documentary, which is a seminal mm. piece of filmmaking that everyone should watch which is all about kind of mass incarceration and how slavery still exists in america um but she does when they see us she's done she's also done some slightly not good things like a wrinkle in time which completely bombed what is that it's that disney movie that has like oprah 
Reese Witherspoon, <laughs> Mindy Kaling. What? I actually never watched A Wrinkle in Time. A Wrinkle in Time. So um, when they see us is, yeah, it's about the um, Central Park Five. Um, and yeah, basically it was just a kind of gross misjustice of a bunch of um, really young African-American yeah. um, boys who were um, put into prison for a crime that they didn't commit. It was for um, a rape of a woman who, yeah, she was, she was definitely um assaulted in a very horrific manner in um at night such a park yeah and yeah they these kids happened to be in the park at that time and um yeah they basically the police coerced them into some statements because they mm-hmm. were very young and then the next thing they knew they were put into prison and yeah basically just ruined their whole lives and it's a, obviously it's a real story um, and we were literally just talking now about how we haven't seen Oprah Winfrey did like a, an interview called When They See Us Now with the real people. But um, in terms of kind of, yeah, basically the corruption of the criminal justice system, police coercion, all of that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, just um, the police... It's not exactly police brutality. Actually, it kind of it is police brutality. The Yeah, police interaction with African-Americans, all of that stuff is is so um, uh, prevalent with this. And it's, I mean, it, it's such a deeply affecting piece of drama. The performances are incredible. Um, it's just like an outstanding piece of like um, filmmaking. And it's four episodes, I want to say. Yeah. Four one hour episodes. So it's not loads to invest in, um, but it's, Sick. and it's I mean it's completely heartbreaking and it will like really stay with you for a long time but it's definitely essential viewing it's the thing that's actually come up in a few of the books is that you can't be a black person in America and be in the wrong place at the wrong yeah. at the wrong time like if there's been a murder I think it was an Americana and the parents had to tell the kids you can't be if there's been a murder you can't be seen in that area because yeah. you can't be scapegoated basically into a crime that you didn't commit and that is the most awful way to live and it's something that's still alive yeah. yeah with something as deeply entrenched and systemic as racism obviously what we're asking people to do is to like learn and relearn a lot of their values and the way that they think mm-hmm. and um we were talking about like the leah michelle incident as well and yeah. like obviously she completely ruined a, a young up-and-coming um aspiring actress's life yeah by being very overtly racist towards her um but then it's also like if she speaks out and says I've realised the mistakes and and things of of what I've done in my past, like how much, how what's the price that she pays for that? Yeah, I do really believe in that capacity for people to learn and evolve. I believe in the capacity for people to change, but I equally feel like I don't know. I I would feel deeply uncomfortable with the idea that she's just like coasting, living the rest of yeah, her yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, she hasn't paid. But then I like, accountable to exactly all, yeah. like there needs to be a level of accountability. But then I. On the flip side of that, I'm like, she probably doesn't deserve to be completely cancelled from culture. Like, yeah. I think cancel culture is a really um, problematic thing in itself mm-hmm. because it doesn't allow any room for anyone to make any errors. I do but, think, though, it was different. I think Leah Michelle's, like, not maybe the best example of it because I think there's some cases where someone did said one thing or one word or did, like, a, a very ignorant tweet ages ago, and that's, like, cancel culture. I, I feel... Like Leah Michelle's 
consistent actions mm. and the fact mm. that it was from so many different people just yeah, kind of paint her out to be quite a nasty person yeah. and I do think like I wouldn't be surprised if I found out she was still kind of acting like that yeah. it wasn't like a one-off okay I did this really stupid people. tweet I was so young I didn't really uh, yeah I was probably had a few racist views at that point I didn't really know much about it there's a difference between that and, and like actively, what was it that she said that she uh, something about a yeah, wig spitting in someone's wig? Yeah, like her. It was. It was she, there's I mean, been so many claims against her that I'm just like, it's me. really hard to to like just let that go. I was like, oh, she was yeah, um, young and and naive. Yeah, and yeah, didn't really yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. Like you know better. Yeah, yeah it would be good. Um, to talk about sitting in limbo. I was lucky enough to sit down um, and do a webinar with the filmmakers of this, and it was a really interesting conversation, especially to place the conversation of what happened to the Windrush generation uh, in the current like context of what's going on. Um, it's also just like something that I didn't know, didn't like at all. How bad it was at all. I really, I like. You know when you hear a phrase, you're like, oh, the Windrush generation. But then you're like, I don't really know what that is, what that means. And I feel like it was a really enlightening um, but harrowing story. But, um, I, yeah, the, the writer basically, he is a novelist, but he's also turning his talents to script writing. It's quite exciting. Um, and the story is basically about his brother. So it's, it's a completely um, true story. And... Um, yeah, it just it's such a gross misjustice against a lot of the Windrush generation who well, it's like eight hundred and fifty people between twenty twelve and twenty seventeen who were um like kind of targeted by our immigration office, I guess. Yeah. And told that they weren't even though they lived in the UK for like between forty and sixty years, just like told that they were no longer UK citizens. Um, basically and, put in prison and put, yeah in immigration detention and, and a detention which would look worse than prison yeah. it was horrible um, with no explanation no and apology also yeah for their for their wrongdoings it, yeah I just found it really really interesting I also think even if I, I do I, I did follow the, the news that it was only 2018 like it was so recent I remember mm. my dad explaining it to me and I do remember kind of like watching it all the news but like you can watch it all the news but it it sometimes doesn't like really hit home until you you live that really too. live yeah. a single yeah. person's sure. story and it really just put in because like yeah I feel like if you don't know anyone from the Windrush generation you can just kind of think of them as like this otherness that you don't really know it's, yeah but this really tells this guy's story and like shows his life before it all happened and that he was just li like just living in like north london wasn't he or something mm, yeah. just literally living a normal life and then one day his like his life got turned upside just down like that. just like that yeah the thing um, that got to me was that he'd gone through this such exclusive immigration system to the point where he was like why what's the point in even being here like what's so great about our country that yeah it's, like it's not that great and we're being so so exclusive to these people who belong here and it's not fair and that really mm. got to me that he was just like why do I even want to yeah like, like why why am I fighting am I so fighting? hard to be in a country that doesn't, so want, me. doesn't <laughs> want me it's such a I and can't gets, even imagine that so, feeling yeah. like I'm such a an emotional person I think I'd just be like but I mean he does yeah. say it, he's like fucking no like and he does, he does get his passport
passport at the end and it's like incredibly bittersweet yeah it's just like oh i've been through so much shit and basically i've been deported to a country i've basically never lived in and been detained for like months and i've now just got this passport yeah and it's like I don't really want to live in this country. Yeah, and out of work for three years yeah, and no yeah, compensation. That's what you were saying yesterday. Like, um, yeah, and that's another thing as well that I think this this whole movement has taught us is that we, you know we have the ability to put pressure on our MPs, write letters. Like we've been writing letters to our MPs. Um, you have the ability to do that. Like you, I mean, actually not everyone, but anyone who has access to the internet and a laptop you can do that and mm-hmm. if you do i would very much urge you to because it's it takes 10 minutes 20 minutes of your day one thousand percent absolutely put pressure on your local and yeah all of your governments because it is making a huge difference yeah and we've seen that already with yeah. belly majinga because we've all put pressure on the government to reopen that investigation and they've already decided to do that it. yeah so don't ever think that your actions are too small is something that I've definitely learned because yeah. I think before now I've always kind of discredited my like my actions and been like oh what the fuck can I do I'm sat here at home like doing nothing like my voice is so insignificant and I think that actually if you get enough people to like rally behind you it can actually make such and a also if, if everyone thought that and everyone then thought nothing my voice would make a difference nothing would ever happen yeah exactly The biggest takeaway of all of this is, I know it can all seem really dark and gloomy, um, but I was actually watching, and again, I will link this in the show notes, but Barack Obama speaking um, in a Vice uh, like webinar, and he was kind of talking about how, um, and, and this has been a, another big conversation, is how different this feels to anything else that's happened before, and I think we do have to take the positive out of this, that that there is a lot of white accountability that hasn't happened before. I think before there's been a lot of um un- unrest and um unhappiness. Uh, and again, that's always been seen as like a marginalised black people problem. But I think now people are really starting to see that the onus is on them as an individual and um, that hopefully there can be some serious change that comes from this. And there are already changes that are yeah, happening. Yeah. So yeah. I think... There is a lot of good to be taken out of this. Um, it's one of the most tragic things, probably ever, that it took the explicit, violent, awful murder of um, George Floyd for people to finally open their eyes to an injustice that's been happening for 400 years. But hopefully it, it has implemented some serious change and for people to take a step back and reflect on their own actions and what they can do. You may have noticed that I decided not to use the usual uncertainties intro on today's episode as I felt that it was a little bit too upbeat given the subject matter. However, because we've been discussing little fires everywhere and how obsessed we are with the soundtrack, I thought that it would be really nice to play out today's episode with a piece of music from the show. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please remember to like, rate and subscribe and please share with your friends. Thank you also to my amazing editor, Noam Zeri, for making every episode sound amazing even when I don't. The uncertainties will be back very soon. That's in me That comes from me
Build it up, break it down.